Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and in today's episode we're going to be reflecting on the scandalous events surrounding the Champions League final in Paris. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So this is our first episode since the final. Uh, Obviously didn't go the way Liverpool wanted on the field but Really, things have been put into perspective in a footballing sense by what happened off the pitch. A basic summary, in effect, Liverpool fans uh, were tear-gassed, pepper-sprayed, attacked by gangs and involved in crushes uh, around the Stade, Stade de France. So for a lot of the people there, the football was just really put into secondary importance um, by what happened and uh, the fallout from it has been ongoing throughout the week. But amidst all this, UEFA has come under pressure. Um, and they launched an investigation earlier this week, basically commissioned an independent report. Um, they're going to speak to all the entities involved and evaluate the next steps. So to think about what this report might entail, what those next steps might be, we're joined by Chris Williams um, for his second appearance on the podcast. And Chris is a UEFA club composition Bundesliga and Premier League journalist. So not really anyone better um, to get into the the workings of, of UEFA with, I suppose. Um, so, Chris, we'll start with a, a basic question about the review itself. Um, so why is it that UEFA have, have gone independent? And crucially, I suppose, how confident are you that it will truly be independent? David, hello. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I think we need to start by maybe looking at what do UEFA normally do when there's an issue. So you'll have seen many times in the past um, that UEFA have a disciplinary commission and not only do they look at player instances, they also look at instances off the pitch. So have clubs um, and their agencies that they employ, be that the police or stewards, um, worked correctly and have um, clubs fans, both home and visiting, behave correctly. And if not, they'll issue out fines. They'll investigate internally and issue out fines. They've done that before for Liverpool fans for use of pyrotechnics in stadium, in stadiums. And they've done that before um, for many clubs. Um, Sevilla, uh, Bruce Dortmund as well, also got into trouble for blocking access stairways. So I don't know if your listeners are aware, but UEFA on a Champions League night, they go in and they take over a stadium in total. They own that stadium uh, pretty much and they own the ground around it. Um, what they can't do, because they're not big enough, is they don't have their own staff to bring in. So they hire in um, the club's own staff or the federation's own staff. So, for instance, when you and I go to Anfield on a Champions League night, we don't get presented with UEFA staff. We interact with the club staff, the club stewards, the club press, um, accreditation services. They work on behalf of UEFA for that night. So UEFA could investigate this if they want. They'll just get the um, they'll get the information in from their authorities um, on the ground and from the authorities like the um, police and the French Football Association. The reason they've gone um, independent is because and I spoke. I've known a couple of people in UEFA for years. I spoke to a UEFA events manager um, not long after, and um, Sunday morning, in fact, it was when I was on my way to Liverpool, um, and they said that. You know, they'd heard different stories. And then I spoke to them again once the once UEFA said they're going to go independent. And, and this is a key bit for me, um, because I think it will be a little more searching than 
maybe a cynic would look at it, and, and, I, and I hope it will be, because uh, UEFA have had conflicting information. So they've had the French government and French authorities saying Liverpool fans turned up late. First of all, that was disproven. Then they said there's loads of fake tickets um, and there was trouble forcing gates and attacking police, etc. <laughs> In today's modern world, you can't say something and then be faced with a vast array of um, video evidence, not just from fans, but from rights holders and non-rights holders like um, Sky Sports, who are outside recording. So UEFA Executive Committee have pushed this investigation out independent now because they're saying, well, on one hand, being told this has happened and on the other hand we're being told the complete opposite and we can see it and we had our own observers on the ground who told us different stories and what the French are telling us so in order for their their brand preservation they've had to go independent because if they'd taken it in-house people would have asked questions so I think we can say this is a marked move for UEFA if you look at what happened after Euro 2020 final in you know last summer um, UEFA investigated it in-house because what they saw on, you know, not just on the television, but online as well from videos that were available, what they were told by the FA and what the rights and non-right holders were reporting is that there was mass trouble, which there was. At the minute, there's conflicting information, so they've taken it outside, um, which I think fills me with a little bit more um, of an easier mindset because you're thinking, actually, they've gone outside, it's going to be passed over to someone who's going to do it for free. Um, and they're going to look at the weight of evidence and they're going to speak to the French authorities. They're going to speak to Liverpool. They're now going to speak to Real Madrid. And I think it's critically important that Real Madrid have come out today um, as we record this and said that their fans had trouble not just getting into the ground, trouble with being tear gassed, trouble with being mugged, robbed and battered before and after the game. So their instances now correlate to what Liverpool fans and Liverpool Football Club have said. And it also flies in the face of everything that the French minister said to the Senate, they said there was absolutely no trouble at the Real Madrid end. And I think a lot of people were critical about Real Madrid. Why have they not come out and said anything? They've possibly done the best thing possible. They've waited, made their own investigation. Meanwhile, the French have come out with a load of scandalous lies. And Real Madrid now, who won the competition and have got no reason to be sad or anything, have come out and said, actually, do you know what? Our fans are exactly the same and you're lying. And that presumably indicates that there was Real Madrid fans who have really been in touch with the club and maybe been, you know, pushing the club to act as well. But, you know, as you mentioned there, Real have obviously put out that statement today. And this is a, a story that really is, is showing no signs of dying down, thankfully, and it's developing all the time. But do you have any inkling about how long this investigation might take? You know, we there is a probably a mountain of evidence to sort through. A lot of it seemingly pointing to one version of events and that's the version of events that Liverpool fans are talking about. But it seems that it can often be the case with these kind of investigations around um, serious incidents in football that they can drag on for an awfully long time. So do you have any sort of insight on that? Not at the moment, no. There's There's been no timelines given, either officially or unofficially off the record. Um, but I think because of the seriousness of it, they won't sit on it. It can't be rushed out, of course. So there's a weight of evidence that the, the independent Portuguese uh, MP, he'll sit down uh, and go through it. He's got to collate that evidence, not just from the French authorities, but from the French Football Association, the FFF. He's got to get the evidence from Liverpool. He's now got to get the evidence from Real Madrid. and He's, he's got to work through it. He's also got to get evidence um, from the train companies and, and all that sort of stuff and look. Um, I would be shocked if it was 
done inside of 10 days. I, I would be really shocked at that because if that happens, it shows me it's not being done thoroughly enough. Yeah. I think we've seen immediately when the French and UEFA, first of all, UEFA said that the fans turned up late. That was blown out the water within 10, 15 minutes, wasn't it? You know, by not just social media video evidence, um, by also evidence of, of broadcasters and commentators as well, like Clive Tilsley on American Broadcasting. And that, you know, we've seen the footage. It's not what's been um, said. That was very quickly changed to, uh, it was a mass influx of fake tickets. Uh, so I think we can see what happens when people get real short answers to complex uh, matters. You know, oh, it was this, or it was that. We've not even investigated it yet. So I don't think it'll be inside the next 10 days but I don't think UEFA wanted to drag on either because it's not going away. Um, and I don't think the British press will let it go away. I don't think the French press will let it go away. I and mean, it's sort of causing a diplomatic incident as well. So I don't think it'll drag on too long. Normally, UEFA investigation, look at about six to eight weeks. Um, I think that will be half that. I'd be surprised if we don't have an answer inside a month, especially considering football will return very, very quickly because of the condensed season due to the, uh, sorry, the condensed off season due to the December World Cup. So um, the um, Community Shield kicks off next month, right? It's the back end of next month, but it's still next month. So football returns early August across um, across Europe and the Champions League starts earlier so they'll need it done and dusted before then um, it's a bit of a millstone around their neck at the moment and it's caused a mass embarrassment to them because this is their pinnacle um, match this is the, the big match in the UEFA calendar the Champions League finals watch globally 120 broadcasters pump it around the world to millions and millions and millions of people um, and everybody saw it front and centre so they'll they'll want to investigate quickly as well and don't forget also they're about to go to court with those who wanted to make the Super League. I think that starts in the next 10 or 12 days. So they'll want this done and dusted and pushed out as quickly as possible. I definitely want to come back to the point about the importance of, of this as like the flagship event. And it's interesting really because I think you touched on an important point there in terms of you want kind of the outcome, you want that definitive um, investigation to, to almost rule in the favour of Liverpool fans and to kind of put it to bed but at the same time you are right that if it was a very quick investigation you'd be like hang on how much you know of the process has actually been carried out here but let's think about how like how damning that this investigation could be from kind of a UEFA perspective because obviously what's happened there are multiple sources of responsibility for it um but the Liverpool supporters group Spirits of Shankly said in a statement, um, I think shortly after the game, that the blame for what happened rested fairly and squarely on UEFA um, because of their, quote, shambolic mismanagement of what happened. And, and they do have, you know, you mentioned earlier on, Chris, about UEFA almost taking charge of that stadium. They do have really a duty of care in that sense to the people who are attending. So as well as obviously the French authorities, how badly do you think that this could end up reflecting on UEFA, who, you know, were kind of in charge of a lot of the planning? Yeah, it, it will. It's independent investigation, so you hope it's going to be invest, you know, independent in its in its summaries. So I think it could be quite damning if done correctly. I'm not saying that you know we all want it to say one thing. We want it to be independent, and if there's blame to be laid at clubs, if there's blame to be laid at um, specific instances of disorder and they would be very small going by um, what well, you come by the weight of evidence 
Uh, for instance, you know, thirty to forty thousand fake tickets has been pushed around. I think UEFA have already said that there's around about two thousand eight hundred. That's a massive disparity, isn't it? So things like that will have to be looked at. But at the end of the day, they own the competition. So whether they subcontract out the running of it to the French Football um, Association, who then steward it, who then operate the turnstiles, who then operate the gates, it's still under their watch. They are the legal responsibility for that. So if it comes out that the stadium was poor, and, and at the moment, um, and this is purely summarising, there seems to have been a real problem with the turnstiles, not just at the Liverpool end, across the whole stadium. Tickets having to be scanned four or five times, genuine tickets having to be scanned four or five times. There's hundreds of videos at different access points across the whole stadium that show people with legitimate tickets, both digital and printed, unable to get through the turnstile, having to go over or under, as well as people, um, local people, just jumping them. And we've all seen that. I don't mean the, the toll gates, I mean the actual turnstiles. There's a video gone viral of a French YouTuber just dipping under. And behind him is a massive French radio star just going under as well. Um, not to suggest that neither of them had tickets. Not sure. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But the turnstiles weren't working. And that has shown all the way through. The New York Times did something um, yesterday, which would have been um, Thursday, as we speak now, an investigation into it saying some of the turnstiles weren't working. If that turns out to be the case, um, then hosting uh, such a big match with such a big contingent, 75,000 people not able to access or not able to enter or leave the stadium because of iffy turnstiles or poor software or just a lack of poor planning. Um, it's all down on them. Um, incidents at the Real Madrid end of their fans being kettled by the police. I spoke to someone at UEFA, UEFA events manager, who categorically said that the, the mention of kettling fans in you know, pushing them through um, a very small area, um, creating a bottleneck was not in their planning. However, they still own that night, that day. So if it's been jumped on them by the French, they're still the, you know, they're, you can't just say, oh, we know, didn't know anything about it. They're running the, they're running the show there. So they need to know something about it. Um, it's going to, it's going to look bad for them. No matter if it comes out and says, you know, X was responsible or Y was responsible or these were at fault or they were at fault. They still own that. So no matter who's the ultimate issue is with, be it the French government, be it whoever, they still own that night. So it'll be a mass, massive embarrassment for them. The Euro 2020 final last summer was a big embarrassment for them. Um, this is even more so because there's no violence on this one. It's ordinary people, young people, old people, Disabled fans, um, you know, all got the same experiences. Liverpool fans and Real Madrid fans have all got the same experiences. We were told we had fake tickets. We couldn't get into the ground with legitimate tickets. We were tear gassed. We were robbed. We were beaten on the way in, on the way out. Um, no matter what the investigation says, the, the main owner, the main operator, UEFA, will be embarrassed by it. Obviously, this final wasn't even supposed to be in Paris. You know, I, I think I'm right in saying it was supposed to be in St. Petersburg, moved for obvious reasons. But to then move it to potentially somewhere that didn't have maybe adequate facilities to host a game of this magnitude, I think it's almost it's just bizarre, and it just implies kind of almost a lack of a lack of care on that front to not make sure that the venue is going to be fit fit for purpose. But to move on a little bit to almost the driving forces here and and the pressure the pressure groups that are at play, who who is it that? UEFA are mostly feeling the heat from, do you think, at this moment in time? 
Yeah, at this moment in time, the biggest heat they're getting is from Liverpool um, Football Club. Obviously, um, out of everything that's been said, Liverpool, like, this is categorically untrue and we can prove it. Um, so they're getting a lot of, of hassle from that. I think um, this is the worst bit, really, because if it's just fans who are going to the stadium, I don't really think they would you know, care that much. Um, but when you get corporate clients who paid thousands of pounds to be there, and I don't just mean Liverpool fans, I mean people associated with their sponsors, with Heineken, etc., um, you know, Just Eat, their main sponsors uh, are saying, we gave tickets to our corporate clients and they had exactly the same issues. They were bottlenecked. They were kept outside for hours. They were tear gassed. They were beaten off on the way. They were robbed on the way out. When you've got those types of people saying that, companies take more interest. Now, that's totally wrong because, you know, a family from Liverpool or a family from Birmingham or a family from Glasgow who have gone over to watch a football match, their experiences matter just as much as their corporate sponsors. But unfortunately, their corporate sponsors bring a lot more money and a lot more weight. And I think as soon as they had um, complaints from corporate sponsors and they had complaints from rights holders and non-rights holders, they had complaints from families of players, um, families of past players, um, ex-players, not just ex-Liverpool players, but you're looking at families who had issues from, from across the whole European football family getting in. Of course, it's well known that clubs only get a certain amount of tickets. You only get like 18,000 each. Um, and the rest of it's made up from invitees, corporate sponsors and dignitaries, etc. And when those corporate sponsors and dignitaries have issues getting in and they're saying the same story as the Liverpool fans who are getting blamed and they're saying the same stories as the Real Madrid fans who were being told had no trouble then they have to do something. And that's why it's gone external. I said earlier that the sheer weight of information that they've got coming into them, saying one thing versus what they're being told by their people, they subcontracted it out to the French Football Federation and the French authorities. It's so vastly different that they've pushed it out independently. And I think that's the right thing to do. Um, you just hope that it is truly independent. But with everybody that's asking questions, um, they won't be able to brush it under the carpet. Absolutely. And to follow on from that, the statement talks about uh, the investigation evaluating the next steps after they receive the findings. And you, you also tweeted that um, the executive committee understand the seriousness of what's gone on. Obviously, easy to be sceptical for kind of some of the reasons that, that you mentioned there. But what kind of, of steps could we actually expect? Now, obviously, I don't want to just, you know, compel you to like speculate here, but if there's any kind of precedent maybe um, for what UEFA might do in response to what UEFA might change in terms of how they operate. And also, I think this is probably an important thing. If UEFA are found to be, you know, largely liable or to a significant extent, will we likely see um, a high-ranking UEFA official kind of facing the, the press and, and forced to almost answer for, for what happened? Yeah, the investigation comes out and says that the organisation was a catastrophe. And um, even if you know, even if the investigation comes out and says, you know what, both fans from both sides were kettled in, um, their experiences were terrible, they were treated terribly by the French authorities. That is, you, you would think that's a win-win for UEFA, and it's not because they it's their it's their tournament, it's their final. They still own the operation of that, so. They're the ones that went to France. They're the ones that chose the French. They're the ones that sat down with the French Football Federation. 
um, and, and said, you know, we can do this. Ultimately, it's the president of France went to the president of UEFA and said, we'll take the final off St. Petersburg. That's a very political thing to do. Come and have it in France instead. That's a win for the French government that against the Russian government. Um, so that's how political this is at the moment. So in terms of what could happen, if it's found that UEFA chose the wrong venue, it was rushed, the, the planning wasn't sufficient, um, all those things, you would expect um, someone from UEFA to, to lose their job over that. Um, you would also expect um, if that comes out, and um, you know, I think we're, we're all under the impression that the French government are telling a ton of lies, you would probably think that one of the French ministers would go. Um, interesting to see that the sports minister's chief of staff has resigned after, I think it's about a week in the job, um, decided that you know whatever's going on at the moment doesn't want to be associated with that at all and has left. Um, that's, ve that's very telling. Um, there will be resignations. I think what's the, the biggest fear for UEFA um, is mass um, legal action. So legal action from Liverpool, legal action from Real Madrid on behalf of their supporters. And when I say legal action, I mean compensation. So, and I don't just mean that, you know, oh, everyone's going to get a bit of compo. Well, I don't mean that at all. Liverpool and Real Madrid will want some sort of, of, of justice for, for what their fans have been through. So that, if that is all their final tickets get refunded, then that happens. And that's a lot of money for UEFA. Um, and it's also a serious embarrassment that we hosted this final, but all of a sudden we had to hand out millions of pounds because the, the way we conducted ourselves wasn't particularly good. So there is no quick win for UEFA um, on this. Um, the big win for them will be for them to say, look, we chose the wrong place and we handed it over to the French authorities. They made an absolute pig's ear of it. That's probably the best they can hope for. Well, that's a really good explanation. And I think, you know, you talk about the compensation side of it and the club's pushing for it. You know, you hear some of the individual accounts um, that, that have been circulating on social media. And it's stuff that, like, is, gonna, is really going to stay with you for a, a lifetime, a lot of it. You know, I think there's even footage of of, of kids um, being tear gas. you know. They might never ever want to go to watch football again. And, and that's a traumatic experience for them. So you can certainly understand um those demands and, and hopefully um those supporters are given the, the support that's needed but to move slightly away from the investigation but kind of stay with UEFA um I've read earlier this week that Liverpool are understandably angry with UEFA not just for what happened but also for the fact that UEFA initially blamed them you know things about fake tickets and and late arrivals and these accusations can be really damaging. And there was a Guardian journalist um, called David Khan who wrote a column about this. And, and he talked about UEFA kind of showing ignorance um, about the lessons of Hillsborough because when those initial kind of statements were issued, Khan was basically writing that they kind of permeate the consciousness of football fans. Like the, almost the first few statements that come out about it can kind of be lasting in terms of the impressions of the events and stuff and UEFA perhaps guilty of not waiting till all the facts had emerged or, or maybe definitely guilty of that considering they, they changed their tune pretty quickly so do you think UEFA will you know issue an apology to Liverpool and their supporters you know one there's one thing a correction and the other thing is an apology because these accusations especially for Liverpool you know Liverpool are particularly 
sensitive to this reality, they can be really damaging in terms of um, bringing up kind of old old traumas um, and also, you know, how the fan base is perceived and how the club is perceived as well. Yeah, it was. It, I, I was shocked when I saw, you know, the statement. Um, I wasn't at the ground. Um, I wasn't even in Paris at home watching it on, on the TV. Um, I was shocked when I saw, you know, the, the, the TV images show that due to late arrivals, the game has been delayed because before the kickoff, there was multiple reports um, all over the internet um, on fans getting there three hours before kickoff um, and have been made to wait in queues and the gates weren't open. So for that to come out was very strange. And um, I'm sure you'll be aware Siren Hughes from The Athletic um, spoke to UEFA member at the stadium when he heard that and and the response he got was we just put something out in order to settle the nerves of those in the stadium um and on the cuff if you say oh yeah we've just been delayed because you know quite a few people have turned up late we'll get them through the the turnstiles that doesn't sound that bad until you realize that after the Hillsborough event and a tragedy of that, Liverpool fans are very quickly brain. They turned up late without tickets. So all of a sudden, that innocuous statement, that doesn't really affect anybody. When it's aimed at a specific set of fans from a specific club, it holds a lot of weight and a lot of value. And all of a sudden, people are saying, aye, aye, what's going on here? Because didn't, you know, apparently you don't, you don't turn up late with tickets, do you? You're all, you know, uh, you know what opposition fans are like and what certain elements of the media are like. They still to this day believe that Liverpool fans forced a gate and turned up late. Um, and that was proven to be untrue. So when it happens 30-odd years later and, and someone goes, oh yeah, they, they turned up late, that that might be all right if it was Real Madrid against Barcelona and people going, oh yeah, they just, you know, they'd have a little bit of a good time and they turned up late and no one's really bothered. But when it's Liverpool, it's, it's a horrific thing to say, um, especially... Well, if you look at what the French had said, they'd said due to security issues and security concerns, which is a little bit different, but in fact, it's completely different than saying a load of people turned up late. Um, and the people that I spoke to at UEFA said they were informed that. They were informed that, that you know, the fans were late uh, by the people they'd subcontracted out to, so the French Football Federation um, and the police had said, look, we had issues, they turned up late. Um, and that was pretty quickly blown out of the water. And then it was, oh, actually, they didn't turn up late. Um, loads of them turned up without tickets. Uh, oh, right, OK. Uh, and that is, again, even worse because that that looks bad for whatever club it is. But especially for Liverpool, who fought for 30 years to say, you know, our fans didn't turn up, thousands of them trying to force their way in with fake tickets. And that was a very quick reaction from Hillsborough and to, to blame the fans. And for some reason, out of sheer competence or incompetence, sorry, um, UEFA decided to go down that track as well. Uh, and I think this all has gone into why they've gone independent because they themselves realised, uh-oh, we were told a few things on the night that didn't you know, stand up to the first thorough, like, looking at, oh, you turned up late today. Well, you know, we've got footage here, timestamp that they were here three hours before kickoff. What, there's 40,000 extra people? We don't think so. There's been 25,000 held back. Because let's remember that 
Liverpool and Real Madrid were given a certain allocation. And Liverpool fans, being Liverpool fans, have bought up legitimate tickets. UEFA ballots, they've bought them on third-party outlets. They've got genuine tickets. So Liverpool might have only been given, officially given 18,000 tickets. But it would be not inconceivable for 35,000 Liverpool fans to turn up because they bought up the tickets in and around the neutral zones. And we all know that neutral tickets get, get sold for vast amounts on third party, be it on places like Viagogo, be it on places like eBay, although they try, try and take it down quickly. Or we see internet sites um, come up and, and they have a, a two, three, four week life cycle. They sell absolutely thousands worth of tickets for a thousand euros each and then they've gone. In fact, one of the big ones, I think it's LiveTickets.com, which came up and was offering Champions League tickets. That's that's closed now. You just get a server error if you go onto that very website. So they can say 30,000, 40,000 Liverpool fans turned up because, do you know what, that is how the stadium all 75,000. What they can't say is that thirty to 40,000 people without tickets turned up because that's just untrue. And I do think it, it is that that ignorance, really. And I, and I suppose it's like, on the one hand, it's a damning reflection of social media in the sense that, you know, some of the things that were being spread by rival supporters, partly as a consequence uh, of what, you know, UEFA was saying um, and all the, the past lies spring up again. But on the other hand, it also shows the power of social media insofar as the narratives that, that were being propagated could be disproven so quickly um, by Liverpool fans who had the hard evidence there and were able to kind of circulate it quickly themselves. But really, there was only one more thing um, that I wanted to ask, and it's something that you touched on earlier. So if we look at the past year um, and three kind of flagship UEFA finals, um, so the European Championship final, which you mentioned, um, the Champions League final as well, and then also uh, the Europa League final. And Rangers have said this week that they had, uh, quote, major issues um, during their final against uh, Frankfurt in Seville. And they're going to be working with Liverpool and taking that up with UEFA. The bottom line is we aren't far off a situation where there's going to be fatalities um, based on what, what we've seen in the past year um, and, and some of the things that have gone on. So this this really is like a moment of, of huge importance for, for UEFA and, and really for, for football fans in Europe, isn't it, after these past 12 months? Yeah, it is. And if you look at those three finals on a separate you know, case-by-case basis, you look back to the summer last year, Euro 2020 final, that was pure violence. That, that was people pushing down railings and attacking stewards and jumping through gates and forcing disabled gates open. That's not a lie. There's tons of footage out there that supports that. And, and there's a lot of innocent people that got hurt on that day. You know, fans who just went to watch a football match and, and got caught up in, in trouble and terrible trouble. Um, that is, that's one side. Um, the second side is that you're quite right. The Rangers Frankfurt Europa League final. Uh, Rangers fans uh, were um, saying immediately, you know, the problems they had getting into the ground and getting out of it. Um, and also, both sets of fans had the water turned off. <laughs> um, you, you know, kiosks were closed, water was turned off in a toilet. Um, not only is that unhygienic when we're just coming out of a pandemic, how do you expect fans to to drink? I mean. Where the final was held, it was a hot evening. Um, and th- there was reports of, of fans having to pass empty plastic bottles down in order for them to be filled up with hose pipes on the ground that, that you know, spray the pitch. 
Um, Rangers, Rangers players were helping Rangers fans get water that way. Frankfurt fans were online complained. Um, I'm surprised the club hasn't done more, to be honest about this. Um, you know, they were denied water. That's not good. There, there could have been fatalities there um, due to that, due to people passing out or not drinking or being unable to, to drink and then falling down. And it, there's, there's just so many things that could have gone wrong. But then, of course, you've got the incidents that happened outside the Stade de France, which um, the the bottlenecks, the, the people that were being crushed and you know, there's a lot of people going online, all oh, the Liverpool fans climbing into the stadium. Well, those particular pictures, they're just climbing over a wall onto the next port, part of the concourse in order to queue to get to the stadium, which is still about 500 metres away. If that was the size of turnstiles, then everyone would be jumping and they're looking at climbing over a wall in order to stop to being you know, crushed. And um, and then they were tear gassed and attacked, which we've already spoken about. So those those three specific finals have each got specific elements which went wrong. And the only... Um, the only constant is the UEFA planning that went on before them, because even though there was mass trouble at um, Euro 2020 final, it was still UEFA that allowed fans to um, get close to the stadium without a ticket check. There was still, you know, were there enough properly trained stewards on the day? That's still under the auspices of UEFA. They can't just say, oh, well, we asked the FA to deal with it. Um, and the same on and the Europa League final, well, you know, UEFA don't own the kiosks. The stadium provider do on their behalf. Well, it's a UEFA final, so if the kiosks are closed, that's a UEFA issue. And then we get Saturday night, the Stade de France, and all the troubles that went on. Um, and it's not just what went on outside the ground before. It's out. It's people being jumped on the way home, people being pinned down and having their watches robbed and their passport robbed and being slashed with razor blades. That happens outside the ground, on the stadium premises. That's UEFA area. You'll notice that, you know, a couple of years ago when Sean Cox was attacked, UEFA really couldn't do anything because he was attacked in the street outside um, outside the pub, and that's not classed as a UEFA area. Um, where all the trouble was on Saturday night, and when I mean trouble, I mean trouble from local gangs attacking fans and trouble with the police. I don't mean trouble from the Liverpool or Real Madrid fans. Where that trouble was was on the stadium concourse. That is, UEFA owned that. On a, on a club, a UEFA club night, that's under UEFA control. Um, so they're the constant for all three of those issues. And each one's very different. One's crowd violence. One's crowd um, issues with water and, and liquids and hydration and, and being treated unfairly. And the third one is, you know, fans being treated horrifically. Um, the one constant throughout all that is UEFA. So it is their plan at the end of the day. Whether they said, and they have said to me, what went on outside the Stade de France isn't what was in the initial planning rounds. Well, you still own that. You know, I, I couldn't go into work and say to my boss, I'm really sorry, but, you know, my team haven't performed the way they wanted to, but it's not my fault. He wouldn't buy it. It certainly is a case of, of split responsibility, um, really. And, and there will be, hopefully, um, in that investigation, hopefully it will be damning for, for those who have kind of neglected their, their duty and, and put fans at risk but Chris uh, thanks very much um, for, for giving up your time to, to come on and, and break this down for us it's been really helpful and really enlightening um, I'll put your uh, Twitter um, profile in the episode description so anyone listening can go and have a look at that and I'm sure there'll be updates on there from kind of the UEFA uh, perspective in terms of what's ha- going on and how this investigation is progressing We'll be back uh, next week um, with episode 72, uh, myself, Dan and Chloe. Um, 
And whilst we will uh, be talking, you know, about the transfer window um, and kind of footballing matters, uh, we'll also obviously react to any significant developments um, around this investigation as the, the fallout continues with this game. So, yeah, thanks again to Chris. And remember to uh, rate the podcast five stars on Spotify if you enjoyed it, share it with any friends and give it a positive view on um, any other podcast platforms you might use. That will be all for now. So we'll see you next week.